Welcome. It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock, and at 10.35, uh, we will chat with Epic Times. The uh, The administration, uh, President Biden, is meeting with Chairman Xi, and I'm, I, I've got some real serious questions about the deal they're trying to make. But we will chat with the Epic Times uh, because their security, national security reporter is going to be with us. That, again, is 10.35. You'll want to pay attention because it's going to have some impact on your life. Uh, or possibly the the future of the country. In the meantime, uh, I'm looking at uh, Business Insider on the state of the economy. Not everyone is convinced that the of the optimistic narrative about the uh, future of the economy. Elite investors, including Jim Rogers and David Einhorn, recently warning of an oncoming recession and its potential impact on equities. And that argument may be getting some support now from an ominous pattern appearing. On a key stock market chart, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has just seen a death cross, a technical pattern where a shorter-term moving average, typically 50-day, drops below a longer-term one, a 200-day. It's regarded by many experts as a bearish signal. The Corporate Finance Institute defines it as a chart pattern that indicates the transition from bull market to bear market. Uh, the death cross is understood to signal decisive downturn in a market, according to Investopedia. But wait, there's more. There are other indications out there that the economy is not really doing as well as some people think. I keep trying to warn you that, that even if it does look good now, uh, that doesn't mean it is. So... I am pleased to tell you that uh, Professor Murray Sabrin is with us. He is our economist. What does the death cross mean, Professor? Well, historically, what that has meant is that um, uh, short-term uh, price movements are going below longer-term price, uh, price charts, and therefore that signals that investors are getting very nervous about the future trend of the stock market, uh, which means that they were concerned about the earnings of companies. And so, therefore, they're starting to bail out of stocks and uh, putting their cash in treasury bills or money market funds and, and wait it out. I mean, after all, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has about $175 billion in cash. So he's not going out and buying stocks these days. He's just uh, collecting his uh, 5% plus uh, interest on treasury bills because, uh, he, as he said uh, not long ago, that every week, uh, the managers at uh, Berkshire Hathaway take the cash that they've received from all the other companies that Berkshire owns and puts it uh, in a safe place in treasury bills in order to wait for more um, favorable opportunities in the stock market and also buying up companies, which uh, Berkshire has done over the past uh, 50, 60 years since uh, Buffett has been head of the company. Uh, you write in your Substack column... Um, that there is uh, good news and bad news about the October CPI. What's the good news and what is the bad news? And and why does it? Uh, why is that bad news? What what makes it bad news? Start with the good. Well, uh, yeah, the good news is that uh, prices are not rising as fast as they were uh, a year and a half ago when we saw a nine percent inflation rate um, ending in June of twenty twenty two, which is the highest inflation rate in forty years. And since then, uh, the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates. They cut back on supply of money in the economy, and that tends to cause prices to uh, either slow down or uh, decline. And so there are some places where prices decline. We know energy prices, gasoline prices, 
jump all over the place uh, over the course of a year or two. And so that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is there are some components of the CPI that are still rising at uh, robust rates. Uh, rents are still rising. Uh, auto insurance uh, is, is up 19% from a year ago. And uh, we know that rates are quite high all across the country because of all these natural disasters. The countries are raising rates in order to uh, make sure that they can cover their costs and earn a profit. So that's the bad news. Um, uh, that's the good news. Bad news is that, as I put in my Substack column, I found a chart that tracks the CPI from the mid-60s to the early 80s when we had a, a 16-year cycle in the CPI, and the uh, CPI of, the, of recent years is tracking that uh, perfectly, which means that, according to this chart, the uh, CPI should bottom out in 2024 and, set, and then start rising again because we do have inflation cycles, economic cycles, stock market cycles, housing cycles, whatever. We live in a cyclical world because the Federal Reserve tries to um, uh, manage the economy by manipulating interest rates, and we know that doesn't work because we don't have, quote, financial stability, uh, economic stability since the Fed was created. They're the ones that create the instability and destabilizing the economy. So the good news is short-term prices should continue to uh, not increase as much as they have. In fact, some prices may even come down. Uh, the bad news, I think, is that starting in the middle of this decade, which is not that far away, we may see an acceleration of inflation into the end of this decade. So are you standing by your prediction that we'll see a recession uh, sometime next year, early in the year? Yeah, I think the data, the, the, the one data that, uh, data point that I look at that seems to be a very good predictor of, of uh, recession is the unemployment rate. And when it starts rising, which it has in the last six months, it means that companies are getting very nervous about keeping employees on the payroll because they see the economy is not as strong as uh, people say it is. And uh, I think we're going to see a recession, if we're not already in recession, uh, in the first half of uh, 2024. Now, I may be wrong, but uh, again, based upon economic history, financial history, that's what the data suggests to me. What, what do you think, um, if this is uh, not in your wheelhouse, I understand, but what do you think people should do with their money with this pending uh, let me no, let me rephrase this because I don't want either one of us on the hook here. But what do you think I should do? Um, I've I'm liquid. I don't have a lot of debt. Uh, there's right. a pending recession. Where do you think I should put it? Well, it's very hard to give individual evaluation unless you know the full picture of a person's uh, of finances because it depends on how old you are, uh, what your expenses are, uh, what risk you're willing to tolerate in the marketplace. So if I don't want any risk, if I, if I wanted to be safe. If you want to be safe, I mean, uh, treasury bills and money market funds are yielding over 5%, so you just sit back and wait uh, until the market corrects again because I think we're going to have another market correction. Uh, how people will be, nobody knows that. But we've had this huge move in the last uh, two weeks in the stock market, and uh, people are just going wild on, on Wall Street that the market is up uh, 10 15% in, in the last um, uh, three weeks, I think it is. So, again, uh, it's too far too fast. We tend to get pulled back. But the long-term trend for the market is, is up. So the advice I would give for someone who just graduated from college or in the 20s working is sock away as much money as you can in your 401k in over 40, 50 years. You can have a lot of money because that's what the data suggests, no matter uh, what, what happens in between, like the crash of 87, the October 22% decline to one day. But that was just a blip in a 40, 50-year uptrend that started in 1982. 
So again, uh, depending on your time horizon, what risk you want to take. Right now, for seniors, uh, they can buy dividend stocks that pay four or five percent dividends that, that grow also, uh, and then uh, put a good portion of your cash in money market funds, and, and then have a little gold also and silver if inflation gets really out of control over the next several years. Uh, once again, he's giving me advice here. He's not giving you advice. Uh, and uh, with his history uh, 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 and understanding of the markets, uh, I'm going to pay attention. I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, all right, uh, Professor, thank you so much. Uh, if somebody wants to get a copy of your book, tell them yeah, how to the, get it. Uh, well, the, well the, there are four books I've uh, written since I retired uh, three and a half years ago. They're all available on Amazon, Navigating the Boom Bust Cycle. Why the Federal Reserve Sucks, uh, the Finance of Healthcare, and my uh, most recent book, my memoir, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual and American Story, all available on Amazon. And um, you can read my Substack column uh, twice, three times a week at murraysaber.substack.com. And uh, next week is uh, the one-year anniversary of my memoir. And what I said, uh, what I wrote in my memoir regarding where America should be going over the next few years is more true today than it was uh, uh, when I was uh, starting to write in the mid-90s, um, my first book, Tax-Free 2000, How We Can Create a Tax-Free uh, Society. I actually want to get, I've, I've already got one of your books. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get the one about the Federal Reserve, why the Federal Reserve sucks. <laughs> I love the title. It's got me intrigued. Professor, thank you for being with us. Great to be with you, Gary. Take care. All right, take care. Professor Marie Sabrin, Professor Emeritus Ramapo College. Uh, the state of the economy. I just I, I keep going over this because I believe that we are headed for for you know a fiscal cliff here, and I don't want people to think. Oh, Gary's wrong. That oh, look at the unemployment numbers or look at the uh, uh, the GDP. I'm telling you, you look deeper. It doesn't look good. All right, uh, I am going to play some audio from Nikki Haley in the next segment of the program. And I got to tell you, the more I learn about Nikki Haley, the less I like her as a, as a candidate. We'll, we'll share this information with you in just a few minutes. And then at uh, 1035, we'll talk about President Xi meeting with Joe Biden. Talk about sending a kid in to do a man's job. And uh, we'll talk with the Epic Times about that because that deals with national security. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. President Xi and, well, Chairman Xi, actually, and uh, President Biden are going to meet, talk about some uh, security issues. And uh, I, I, I am so unimpressed with the deal that they're making. Uh, it, it actually scares me what, what uh, the president wants to do. But we'll, uh, we'll chat about this with Andrew Thornbrook. He's the national security reporter uh, reporting on the Biden-Chi meeting, uh, which is today. Uh, he'll be with us at 1035. So we'll, we'll kick that around with him. But there is a real threat to our national security. I mean, a real genuine threat. You'll want to find out about this. And just bear in mind what I've always said about treaties. They're not worth the paper they're written on. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But first, Nikki Haley. You know that my position on her foreign policy is that she should never make it to the White House. She wants to use the same failed foreign policy that we have had for 200 years. A policy that keeps getting us in bigger and bigger trouble. 
So I am definitely on those grounds not in favor of her. But now she wants some rules on social media. And this just crosses the line. This is uh, Nikki Haley uh, talking about uh, social media and rules that she wants. When I get into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts, social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by their name. That's, first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden people have to stand by what they say and it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots, and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility when people know their name is next to what they say. Accountability. And they know their pastor and their family member is going to see it. It's going to help our kids and it's going to help our country. No. Absolutely not. Look, I don't I don't use uh, Adam de Plume when I post if I post on social media. It's it's me and I and I wish everybody did. But it's not the government's job to force that to happen, nor is it the government's job to get access to the algorithms that these that these websites use. Look, if if you don't like Facebook, don't use it. If you don't like Twitter or X, don't use it. I don't care what it is, you're not you're not compelled to use it. The government if the government forced you to use it then you would have right to say, "Well, I want to know what it's doing with the data and how it's um, uh, deciding what to push and promote." Then you'd have a case. But nobody is forced. There are people listening to me right now who do not engage in any social media. So they're not exposed. We can all do that if we choose. The fact that she is willing to, under the guise of national security, how many times have we lost our freedoms over the national security argument? But under that guise, she wants to literally violate the privacy of companies that create their websites. If she's willing to do that to them, what is she willing to do to you? I don't. It, it, the more I see of her, the less I want her to be in the White House. And, uh, Brian, am I wrong? Does this not? No, you're not wrong at all. I had no idea she was such a hawk. She yeah. didn't uh, come out previously in this fashion, and maybe she just revealed herself recently. I'm not sure. And this willingness to, you know, to force people to use their real name. You know, there are people who might be working. There might be conservatives working at a progressive organization who want to make a statement but don't want their name out there because they might get fired if people know who they are. So she would take away that freedom under the guise of, oh, we need to do this for national security. We need to get rid of the Chinese bots. And there are probably, and I would argue, more Republicans than Democrats that are going, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good idea. It's not a good idea. It is not the job of the White House or the government to make those changes or to take away your anonymity. I w Have you, by chance, heard about the...
Preventing Digital Discrimination Order, which is going to be voted on today by the FCC. (sighs) When you have time, when you have time, I put a story in our in our site. And this is uh, this is frightening. It basically gives control to the government, the Internet control. And I don't know where we're going to be headed if uh, this, you know, takes place. Every aspect of broadband infrastructure in the industry itself is at stake. Yes, because they they don't think, uh, you know, that we're smart enough to take care of ourselves. They They literally think you're too stupid. This is uh, recommending implementing an exhaustive array of new restrictions that will alter the Internet forever. Uh, it's, it's the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2021. It was meant to infuse federal dollars into America's sagging Internet infrastructure. I didn't know that the, inter, uh, that the uh, Internet was sagging uh, in 2021. Do you remember this, Brian? Uh, oh, yeah, the net neutrality thing that oh. we had to, uh, you know, take over. And uh, <laughs> this is now the back door. They couldn't get in the front, so we're going to use the back door. They're going to they're going to uh, give the FCC the power to control every aspect of the internet infrastructure, in the name of secular gods of diversity, equity, and inclusion. <laughs> Are you sure this isn't satire? Because <laughs> we've been taken before. You know, a listener sent me a message uh, a little while ago that echoed your sentiment. We played this satirical piece. It was sent to us out of context, and we didn't realize that it was satirical, we, we, but we did think it was outrageous. And then we found out it was satire. It wasn't real. And the listener said, you know, as crazy as it is with what's going on in America, the reason you can get so easily fooled is because, you know, the outrageous things that, that are real. Yes. Um, and, and that's exactly right. You, you, you think that um, this could possibly be because you've seen so many other things that, that actually have happened. And you, never, you would never have thought those were real. Uh, it's Bruce. He said, the issue with your satirical video is that we are in such a state right now that it's not beyond belief. And he's right. President Biden, who I and I'm serious about this, and I don't I don't I don't mean to be insulting, but I seriously don't believe he's in command of his faculties. I think he is suffering the rages of age. And he is going to meet with a ruthless dictator. And they're going to make a couple of deals, or at least Biden wants to make a couple of deals. One of these deals in particular, I think, greatly endangers national security. I think a suggestion, and I don't know, this is the kind of thing the left do, they, they do this sort of thing all the time. But what I think President Biden is going to do is lock us into a treaty that only we are going to adhere to. We'll chat with Andrew Thornbrook from the Epic Times 
in just a few minutes on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 1035. Glad to have you with us. Uh, the Epic Times on board with us. Uh, Andrew Thornbrook is with us. Chairman Xi and President Biden are meeting today, and they're making a deal that I think threatens national security. Uh, it, it, let me just bring Andrew on. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, Gary. Thanks so much for having me. What is this deal with artificial intelligence that they they plan to make? <clears throat> Yeah, so from what we can tell, this is a deal that would allegedly hold both uh, nations accountable in saying that they will not actively use artificial intelligence uh, in weapons systems, and particularly in uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, this has been a big issue in recent, uh, well, really over the past year. Uh, we've had DOD already come out and say um, that they would try to uh, work away from anything that would involve artificial intelligence being, uh, you know, located with uh, nuclear weapons launches and things like that. So we're to believe that if we don't take advantage of this uh, possible uh, um, technology for national defense, that China won't either. Well, that's the conundrum, right? So, of course, uh, I think most leaders in uh, reasonable countries would believe that this is a good policy. We don't necessarily want artificial intelligence uh, choosing when and where uh, soldiers on the battlefield are, are killed, enemy you know, combatants. At the same time, I think everyone in the room knows that there's no way on earth the Chinese Communist Party is going to adhere to this agreement. And uh, I, I think the, the bar is very low here as to uh, the expectation that the CCP would uphold their end of the deal. Yeah, I mean, it, all it's doing then is tying our hands behind our back. You know, if, if they may be willing to, uh, to not engage in that as long as if there's a conflict, they're winning. But if there's a conflict and they're losing, you don't think they'll take advantage? I do. I'm sure they will. They'll do anything. Yeah. Yeah, it is a, it's an interesting problem, especially because we do know that the Chinese Communist Party is investing uh, in artificial intelligence for defense capabilities, including uh, military application. Not all of that's uh, in weapons, of course, a lot of this decision-making software, but they are investing in it quite heavily as you know, percentage of their defense spending. is actually they're spending more on AI than we are in our defense spending. So... You know, it's. I, I think this is really something that the Biden administration wants to say that a, a deal was arrived at, wants to have something tangible, right? We've seen the administration have these points of contact with the CCP over and over and over again for a year now, and nothing tangible has come of it. Nothing has come through. Every time we hear, oh, the meeting itself is the progress. Uh, so I think the administration is really under a lot of pressure right now to try to produce something tangible, and this is what they've come up with. Chairman Xi wouldn't meet with the administration um, over the course of the last year, but they but he met with the governor of California. Is, is there something that I should be reading into that? <laughs> 
Yeah, so there's actually been a lot of politicking, even uh, trying to figure out the optics of this meeting with Biden. You know, uh, some reports, of course, that she, uh, the Chinese delegation, originally wanted she to meet with U.S. business leaders first before meeting Biden. Right, the uh, the symbol there being that. China is reassuring U.S. businesses with their interests in China uh, and placing a greater importance on them than on our actual national leadership. Uh, thankfully, the White House was able to at least uh, get rid of that. And But she will still meet with uh, U.S. business leaders after the, the uh, summit with Biden. So this is just a whole lot of... Uh, politicking in, in the worst form of the word and in which she is really trying to angle uh, the U.S. dependency, commercial dependency on China to his uh, benefit. Another thing that bothers me, and this is our fault, we have this war on drugs, which uh, is uh, creating a demand for uh drugs that that people can self-medicate with. They can't go to the drugstore and get it, so they buy it off the street. And because of the the challenges of smuggling, we're seeing more and more people bring fentanyl into the into the country. It's easier to smuggle because it's more potent. Ergo, you use smaller packaging. It's easier to to bring it in. Much of that fentanyl is coming from China, and somehow, if I'm not mistaken, the administration thinks they're going to work out a deal to stop China from taking advantage of the demand. How, how does that work? <clears throat> Yeah, and well, you know, so a deal like that may, it may in fact work for a short period of time. We, we've seen this before. I think uh, this is one of those instances of the ball being in China's court and it using that fact to its advantage, right? That you, you want the ball to be in your court. That's how you score. Uh, so essentially, we, we've seen the CCP come time and time again saying, okay, we, we can crack down on the uh, exportation of these fentanyl precursors to Latin America, which eventually make their way into fentanyl and into the United States. Uh, and it will do that from time to time as it needs to uh, work out a de- some deal with the United States. Uh, but then as soon as something happens in the relationship that the Chinese Communist Party wants to make an effort to demonstrate its power, it'll simply stop enforcing that. Uh, so I completely would expect CCP to initiate some sort of empty gesture or maybe halt or slow those precursors for a limited time, but then to ease those, ease them back in when they uh, need to apply pressure on the United States. Absolutely useless. We're sending a boy in to do a man's job. Um, so what do you think we're going to actually gain uh, from this meeting, Andrew? Do you, do you see any positives, any genuine, real-life, tangible results for, uh, for the United States? You know, those results, I think they're primarily the positive results will exist, but they'll be secondhand uh, and they'll largely be through our allies. Right? The, what the Biden administration is going to accomplish with this is to send a signal to our allies, particularly our NATO allies in Europe, but also our, our partners in the Indo-Pacific, that the U.S. is the more responsible partner in trying to come to the table. This is something the Biden administration has tried again and again and again to do. So even if it doesn't succeed in producing something tangible for the United States, in the first order, we'll have uh, a greater, I think, trust from our international partners that we tried. Uh, so at a future date when things get worse, which they will, uh, we'll, our partners will be more likely to uh, bind up with us. So that's 
that's one possibility, though it's obviously not something direct and tangible that we can uh, get, a, get a hold on. If you just turn the radio on, Andrew Thornbrook is with us. The Epic Times, uh, it is a great way to keep up. You guys send me emails, I think two or three times a day, with breaking news stories, uh, keeping me up to date. And I, you know, I don't even get that from the Wall Street Journal. I, I, I really love that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, last uh, last question. You said that that something will go wrong, something will happen. What do you think that will be? Will, will it be an invasion of Taiwan, or will it be, uh, you know, uh, the disputed waters off the coast? What What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so I, I don't foresee an immediate invasion of Taiwan, um, at least not a successful one. I, I really think that the the chance of some sort of miscommunication or failure uh, is going to come from a response out of Chinese interference in domestic politics, either in Taiwan or the United States, not actual military uh, escalation. So both Taiwan and the United States were both going into presidential elections. Both elections have a lot of foreign policy at stake. Uh, they're, they're, we could see a, a much more pro-China uh, administration come into power in Taiwan. Uh, and even if we don't, we're definitely going to see a whole lot of cyber activity, economic coercion, military intimidation around Taiwan. So there's a huge risk of just miscommunication uh, and possibly accidents, right? Like we've seen around the region, our ally, our very close military ally, the Philippines, be have their ships actually rammed by Chinese Coast Guard vessels. Uh, largely from playing like these Chinese vessels trying to play chicken and claim territory that's not their own. So th I think there's all these sorts of contingencies that could start a, a series of domino effects um, in which we're going to have much more restricted uh, perhaps trade as a, as a result. Uh, we've already seen China trying to figure out how to cut off uh, exports of, say, graphite and things like that to the United States. Uh, which, because of current policies for green energy, right, it will, would be catastrophic because we would no longer be able to make like key components that we need uh, for a lot of technology. So I don't see a, an immediate military uh, conflict happening, but I definitely could see uh, diplomatic and economic crises happening within the next 18 months for sure. All right. Uh, if, uh, if you're in front of a computer... Go to Epic Times. It's spelled like Epoch. They don't know how to pronounce Epoch, so they call it Epic, uh, E-P-O-C-H. Uh, and it is a terrific uh, source of news. Uh, I rely on them all the time. And look up Andrew Thornbrook. Andrew, thank you for being with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Gary. Have a great one. All right, you too. Take care. 874-9390-800-529-5572. Uh, By the way, uh, some of those uh, chemicals we were talking about, the battery-powered cars, and how expensive they are. Uh, we didn't actually mention that, but we have in the past. They're, they're going to get even more expensive. I'll tell you why next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 1051. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Um, coming up in the next uh, segment of the program, this will start at 1105. There's a, a city council seat that uh, people are looking to fill. I am up in the air about who to support on this, and it, it it's more challenging because I, I know who would make a great city council person for the city of Columbia, but I'm just not sure I should say anything because it 
It's the kiss of death. The leftists listen to the program and go, oh, Gary Nolan likes that candidate. Eh, let's not vote for that one. Uh, but I will uh, I will divulge that information, I guess, after all. Uh, and I'll do that shortly. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we were talking about these battery-powered cars, and apparently they are not going to get less expensive. They're already too expensive for most people. And we've talked about all the inefficiencies. You know, you... They'll tell you 350 miles on a charge, but they tell you if you're on the road, don't charge it to 100%, just 80%. So you're not getting 350 miles. And then it takes 40 minutes to charge the damn thing to 80% or longer. I mean, it's just all kinds of problems with it. But according to a report, and this is from CNBC, this is, NBC is not what I would argue a, a terribly conservative uh, group, although CNBC tends to be a little closer to the middle of the road. They, uh, they're reporting that the next four or five years, EV and battery cell prices are going to spike. So if you've got an already inefficient, overly expensive automobile that runs on batteries, it's going to get worse. Uh, the, the reason there is going to be a spike is the scarcity of lithium. That's a, you know, these are lithium-ion batteries. Uh, fast Markets uh, last year uh, took a look at this, and lithium supplies are expected to collapse, uh, at least relative to demand, uh, and that happens in the next two to three years. And the decline uh, goes through 2030. Uh, and as uh, VP of Colorado research firm eSource Sam Jaffe pointed out to CNBC, you cannot make the batteries if you don't mine the lithium. So if they're running out of lithium and they're running out of cobalt, well, they're running out of batteries. I'm just, yeah, I, I keep going over this because I don't want anybody to, to uh, you know, foolishly think that, well, we can, we can uh, make this switch. This is a horrible idea and they just keep forcing, on, uh, forcing it on us. And these are people who have no idea what it takes to even make a car. But they're going to tell the, you know, the, but these bureaucrats are going to tell the automobile manufacturers how to build a car. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, Bidenomics, uh, I, I see the, the real big problem with the, first, let me just tell you that Part of that spike in inflation that we experienced, the really big spike uh, last year, that was because we couldn't get the product to the marketplace. We had a problem with the supply chain, which, by the way, was partly because of over-government regulation. But, but that, that really uh, was a big part of the inflationary spike. The rest of the inflationary spike was the result, as I've said in the past, of uh, both Biden and Trump having sent out checks to people that had no reason to send out. And that money has been sort of floating around out there. And we, we just talked with uh, Murray Sabrin, a professor emeritus at Ramapo College, about the economy and, and where it's headed. And people are falsely of the impression that it is really... It's, it's getting better, but it's not. And probably the worst problem of all 
is real wages. You go to your boss and you say, look, um, I can't afford to feed my family. The, the price of everything has gone up. And your boss gives you a raise. But if he doesn't give you a raise sufficient to conquer the inflation, you're, it's like missing him closer. You know, you're, you're still losing money. And real wages continue to drop. Even if you're making more money, you still have less uh, uh, buying power than you did when Biden took office. And that's a lot of the discontent on the part of voters. The administration wants you to think it's your fault. You're not seeing all the wonderful benefits of the Biden economic uh, policy. You, you just can't believe your lying eyes. Or you shouldn't, in their, in their opinion. But the truth is, it, it is, in fact, worse even if you got her, and God forbid, if you didn't get a raise or you don't have a side hustle where you're making some extra money, you're losing thousands of dollars a year in spending power. So what can you expect if you can't spend that money? If the money isn't there, you've got two choices. You either don't buy, not good for the economy, or you go into debt, not good for the economy. So they can tell you all they want that Bidenomics is a, you know, it's a success and look at all the wonderful things we've done. They can try and turn it into a positive. But you know better. You're the one out there trying to feed the family. You're the one trying to get the groceries, pay the, the, the medical bills. And we still have inflation over 2%. And it's compounded on top of all of the the inflation that we've suffered in the last two years, three years. No, no they're not going to be able to convince most of you. Because you can feel it. You know that it's not good. All right, uh, coming up in the next segment, and this uh, deals uh, primarily with Columbia, the second ward seat. Uh, I can't believe that uh, there are as many people who want that seat as there are. There are, I think, what are we up to, eight now, Brian? People running for that uh, seat? I am not sure I can check to see. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's eight. And I have uh, someone that I think would make a terrific uh, council member. It's going to be a, a, a challenge. And I'll, I'll give you an idea. I talked to this person. I, I was giving a speech one day. Uh, in front of, I, I can't remember what, what group it was. It was, it, but I, I was talking about owning your own home. And this person is the only person in the room who got the the answer right. I'll I'll, I'll share this with you next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show.